Yea, it is an angry and unforgiving economy. Cut spending to only the bare essentials. Water and bread and margaritas. Yay. Self-destruct, count it down. One step farther, you're getting now to perfect. But is it worth it? Welcome to the Consumers During Corona podcast, the podcast I can't wait to rename and with the vaccine on the horizon, hopefully that day is coming up soon. I am uh, Steve Krause, uh, author, speaker. I'm now also uh, executive director for the Market Research Institute International. More about that in a future episode. But let's get right to today's guest because I'm really excited to have her on. Victoria Sekal is managing director of Morning Consult, which is one of the most interesting and innovative new market research firms out there. Uh, she has a, a long history of senior leadership positions and other consulting firms as well. Uh, educationally, she has a uh, degree from the Wharton School. So that's obviously University of Pennsylvania, which makes her a Penn Quaker, and also did an exchange program at Bocconi University in Milan. So Victoria, this is the, your first quiz question of the day. Do you know what the mascot was of Bocconi University? That's a great question. I would guess pizza given it was Milan, but I, I really don't have an informed answer for that one. <laughs> it was the uh, it was the Pelicans. I, I would not have guessed that. So uh, so I guess we've all learned something here today. Uh, but yeah, thanks. I might not have chosen Bocconi given my uh... deathly fear of birds if I had known oh, wow. that one. <laughs> Excellent. Well, you know, that's a great entree into a little game that I like to play when people come on the uh, on the program just to get to know them a little bit better. A little game that I like to call the lightning round. The lightning round. I am so good at lightning rounds. I majored in lightning rounds. Are you ready for the lightning round, Victoria? Absolutely. Let's get to it. Let's do it. What is your hometown? I am from Skinny Atlas, New York, here in the beautiful upstate region of big New York state. Upstate is beautiful. What are you binge watching these days? Spending a lot of time actually at home in Skinny Atlas has uh, led me to purchase a home, which means I'm binge watching HGTV and a lot of uh, home improvement shows, probably a maybe two years, 20 years my prior, but uh, yeah, <laughs> home HGTV and home improvement. Great. What book or podcast would you recommend these days? I would, I'm having a tough time answering that one, actually, because I am more of a sampler. I expand lots and lots of podcasts, but they tend to be um, lots of business-related marketing kind of trends, consumer insights, growth strategies. So I, I couldn't pinpoint one that I'm loyal to, unfortunately. What is the last thing you bought online? Actually, homeowner's insurance. Um, I potentially fell into the trap of being a millennial here, but had heard of brands that served their customers well um, and decided to take the leap given the complexity of all of the various quotes I was getting with offline providers. Lots of innovation going on in the insurance space these days. What's the most unusual thing you bought online? Keep it safe for work, please. Uh, I will have to go here with my treadmill, which is not maybe unusual for everyone given the last year, but I will say certainly for where I would have expected to be given my outdoor running, uh, the treadmill was a strange one. 
And what brand do you remember fondly from your childhood? Anyone from upstate New York will hopefully be smiling with me here, but Wegmans. Um, I guess they've now expanded far beyond our, our little region, but um, always a always an interesting brand to have watched, especially as I came into this space as a marketer and brand strategist. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for playing The Lightning Round. The Lightning Round! The Lightning Round! Lightning Round. And, uh, you know, that's really a great transition into what we're going to talk about today, because I know you've just produced a big new report for Morning Consult, all about the most trusted brands all around the world. And on this podcast, we usually focus more on, you know, consumer trends and lifestyles and things like that. And we don't focus a whole lot about methodology even though I'm, I'm a methodology geek, I could talk about it all day, but that would put everyone to sleep. But I think because you, you've just come out with this big report and, uh, and especially because it's all around trust. And so I think there are a lot of issues about how do, you, how do you measure trust? What does trust really mean? Can you just talk a little bit about the report and the methodology and how you collected the data for the report? Absolutely. And to your point, this was a, a far-reaching effort across a number of topics, but also a number of geographies. So um, I think actually good to do a couple of minutes of justice to how we approach this. Um, first, to paint the picture of how consumers or really how humans are thinking about trust in various entities, let alone brands and companies, um, we conducted custom research, if you will, across um, 15 different geographies around the world. So we took a look at the 15 biggest markets across a number of regions, knowing um, especially some of those emerging markets to understand differences on a market and a regional level around the world. Secondly, leveraging Morning Consult's brand intelligence database. So we've been tracking consumer perceptions of and attitudes towards brands across thousands of brands around um, dozens of markets around the world for years now. We turn to the net trust score, which is to say the share of consumers who say they trust a brand minus the share of consumers who say they don't trust the brand to say around the world, across any given market, how many consumers actually at the end of the day um, do brands, so to speak, have left in terms of trust? And that's where our ranking came from. Uh, that would be, again, Morning Consult's brand intelligence uh, platform. So that's kind of like a net promoter score where, you know, in net promoter scores, you ask people, how likely are you to recommend a brand? And you take the percent of people who would really trust or would, uh, you know, really recommend it minus the percent who wouldn't recommend it. And you get that you know, sort of net promoter score. You're kind of using a similar methodology, but around trust. Is that right? Exactly. To get the net share of people who feel they have to, or express trust in a given brand. Exactly right. And so how exactly do you word that question around trust that you ask? Sure. To what extent do you trust the following brand to do the right thing? Okay. So that's a, that's a great way to phrase it. And we'll talk about that a little bit more because I think when we talk about what are the most trusted brands, we'll kind of get into, you know, what, what exactly does trust mean? So I think the way that you phrased it is, is really good. Uh, but before we get into like the top specific brands, I thought it was really interesting that small businesses in general score really well on your trust metrics. Can you talk a little bit about that? This is something we've continued to watch throughout the course of the pandemic. Um, you see that these closer in brands and entities and businesses uh, really are scoring well with consumers in terms of not only trust, but a number of other metrics. And um, we've seen, and, and you see this in some of the various data points throughout the report, that um, the brands that have shown up and been present in consumers' lives are at this moment very top of mind as um, having garnered that strong relationship and have earned 
the emotional connection by way of trust in this particular case. But um, we see that across markets to be the case and, you know, in a beat right behind small businesses being the most trusted entity. We also see that local companies, so those that operate or, you know, were founded in a given consumer's geography tend to have higher trust as well. So when we just think about the closer in entities that have been there and either met emotional needs during trying times or been functionally present in a way that they the products were on the shelves and you know the need was filled, those are the ones that are, are winning in the trust regard at this time. Yeah, I suppose, especially in these pandemic times when people have been so focused, okay, what can we do to support local business? You know, there's so much recognition that, hey, you know, the the local bookstore is struggling, the local restaurants are going to be struggling. I think people have really put a lot of of personal effort into thinking about how they can support those local businesses. uh, Because, you know, I mean, they, they they see those people, they're often, they're going to know the business owners, often like in your, in your Wegmans example, they're kind of like long running emotional attachment to those kinds of local brands. These smaller brands, to your point, exactly, also have a bit more, um, I mean, challenging in certain contexts in the context of a pandemic, but have a bit more agility to be able to meet consumers' needs in the very specific way that those needs are manifesting in the situation. And that's something else we've seen and been watching throughout the past year that as whether it was the delivery or servicing mechanism or the hours, these smaller businesses are more able to agilely adapt to the reality of their consumers and find creative ways to meet those needs. So to your point exactly, uh, that closer in familiarity goes both ways, and that's really resonated with consumers. Very interesting. All right. Well, let's jump into the the top list of most trusted brands. Uh, and I, I believe kind of the initial reporting is based on uh, on, on global results. Uh, and so when you look at that, let's just kind of walk through, like, say, the, the top five. What, what's at the top of the list? Sure. We have Google coming in right at number one, followed by PayPal, Microsoft, YouTube, and Amazon. So, um some big players that are, of course, very present globally, but spanning a few different industries, if you will, though they all, of course, play in technology. Yeah, it's interesting that all of the top five are really, really strong, obviously, in in technology. When we think about how consumers are interacting with brands, that's a key part of it. Um, It's interesting, especially when you think of Microsoft as traditionally not a B2C player. And at the same time, you have Google, which is not a brand that you necessarily purchase from. And same thing with YouTube, for that matter, although there's starting to explore that route. Um, It's all about the, the convenience and the accessibility, but also the experience that you're able to get from these providers. Um, at the same time, all of the, you know, kind of balance of this top 15, the remaining 10 brands are all increasingly getting into the digital space as well, while not maybe pure play technology brands. That's more and more um, important as we think about serving consumers. Yeah. Well, if you would, why don't you just kind of walk us through the, the brands that sort of, uh, you know, fill out the rest of that top 15. Absolutely. So we have, I'll I'll start with a list for our listeners and then talk through some of the highlights of what we saw trend-wise. We've got Sony coming in at number six, Adidas, Netflix, Visa, Samsung, Nike, Nestle, MasterCard, 
Disney and Colgate closing out the pack. Um, and the combination of, of insights to, to bear in mind here are not only how these businesses are showing up in terms of the, the pandemic, but also kind of more broadly. So again, you think about digital and accessibility, you think of leaning in and either having um, you know, extra support for small businesses or creating products that or solutions or, or services that meet these nuanced needs in the context, again, of a pandemic or economic downturns. All of these companies have in some way done that. At the same time, there's, um, you know, kind of the more positive side of the spectrum. So you think about entertainment or the brands we turn to as a nostalgic um, kind of guidepost, again, in the context of a pandemic when that's what people are looking for, but also it's just a tried and true, trusted, reliable brand that our parents use and that we know um, we can get a certain kind of value trade-off proposition from those brands. That's who we continue to see leading these lists. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. You know, when you think about trust, there, there are kind of different elements to it. And like you mentioned, I think, you know, one element of trust is just kind of a utilitarian, is it going to do the thing that I expect it to do? So, you know, when I go to Google, and obviously, you know, Google has had headlines and, you know, antitrust allegations, maybe they kind of haven't had sort of the, the privacy scandals of a Facebook, but, you know, Google hasn't been immune to criticism. But I, I think it's, I mean, it's great on that utilitarian dimension. You go to Google, you know, it's going to do what you expect it to do. Uh, but, you know, given you, know, you sort of have phrased the question as, you know, do you trust this brand to do the right thing? I, I think it's so interesting that, that these brands that do well on that utilitarian, they deliver what they say they're going to do, also seem to do well on this broader kind of, they do the right thing kind of dimension. It's an excellent point because one pushback, to be fair, that we have received around the data here, um, which really underpins the the ranking. It's not certainly not um, subject to anything other than the longitudinal data we've tracked from actual consumers, um, is this element of why are these big technology brands at the top, especially some which have had, to your point exactly, either pushback or controversy in Washington, or to some extent, you know, we've seen over the years that companies with a data breach have managed to survive. So what gives? And that was really where, you know, thinking through the rigor of this research, we wanted to explore not only what drives trust and um, the reasons behind why these brands are where they are, but also the parameters around kind of the breakers of trust. So where are, thinking on a category level, because of course there's nuance here, where are consumers willing to forgive certain brands for certain missteps or, or how far can brands go before they totally lose consumers' trust and in turn consumers' purchase or usage? And so um, it's important to consider in the context of Google, first of all, you know, who else would you necessarily use? But thinking about the broader picture of their category and in for internet services or social media, um, the, the willingness to kind of forgive might look different than, for example, your bank um, or your car should something go wrong. That was another really interesting element of the research that I uh, that I thought, and, and I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes so people can go in and get the get the full report. Uh, was you know as you mentioned, you have some analysis on kind of what are the what are the breakers of trust, and you also had some data on you know what, what's the impact of trust, like how how much more likely are people to interact with a brand that they trust as opposed to one they don't trust. Can you talk a little bit more about that? 
Absolutely. We see that um, in general, consumers are more likely to recommend, which makes sense. It's kind of no cost to them, but they're more likely to advocate for those brands that they trust. They are more likely to buy from or um, spend more on those brands. They're more likely, unsurprisingly, to choose them over alternatives. So we think about that advocacy and loyalty loop. They're also more likely to forgive them if they misstep. And so this is another scenario where it's, it's unsurprising when you see Google at the top, having come through with reliable information to your utilitarian point, having you know worked pretty functionally and, and met the needs it was supposed to for so long, you build that trust in a functional capacity, which translates and pays dividends. If you ever sort of need to cash in on that bank, if you will, when emotional, uh, more emotional matters might jeopardize that trust. Um, at the same time, we see that they're more willing to share their personal information with brands they trust. And this is something we'll continue to tease out specifically when we get into the category research around tech and um, social media companies, let alone telecoms and, and the like, who are also known to use consumers' data, um, but you just have more leeway as a trusted brand to, to really build out that relationship and have the good faith established that you'll do the right thing in general, but also with consumers' information. Yeah. As I looked at kind of the broad categories around the, the brands in your top 15 list, you mentioned how strongly tech performs, you know, with you know, the, the obvious players, you know, Google, Microsoft, YouTube, Amazon, uh, but also Sony and Samsung score very well. Uh, you've got a number of financial players from PayPal to Visa and MasterCard. And you kind of see that, you know, boy, they, they take privacy and security so seriously, you could see why they would do well. Uh, then you've got a couple of entertainment companies, Netflix and Disney do well. Uh, I also thought really interesting coming in at number 15 uh, was Colgate Palmolive. And that's kind of the only classic consumer packaged goods brand on the list. What, what's your take on that? Along with, um, I would argue, maybe Nestle maybe falls into that bucket as well. We see consumers um, gravitating to those brands that, um, in two for two reasons, really, when it comes down to establishing and reinforcing that trust. First, they've seen these brands in their lives over the years. So if something is recommended to your you buy your parents, for example, or, and that can be verbally, that can be through the products that you have in your home. Um, that's going to, you know, plant some seeds, especially as in your youth, but as you move through your life stages and make those choices. But then secondly, uh, the reinforcing effect of times of trouble or times of economic strain, you default to those brands that deliver on the value proposition of some sort of value for the cost. And, and neither of these brands is definitionally premium. Um, but secondly, in, in the ability to kind of meet the needs and provide a snack or provide a, you know, the healthy toothpaste or the, the product that works for you. I don't know if toothpaste is necessarily healthy, um, but, you know, kind of meeting those needs and delivering in a way that there's one thing you don't have to worry about is that the brand will deliver and be worth the value that you're paying for it. That's a great example with those two entities. I think with the pandemic, one of the things that a lot of people expected was that store brands and generic brands would do really well as people became so much more value oriented. And that really hasn't necessarily been the case. I've had some folks on the podcast who have a lot of data around CPG purchases, and they found people kind of really gravitating toward those more traditional comfort kind of brands. I might spend a little bit more, but I got so much stress going on in my life. I, I want a, you know, a, a kind of food or a kind of snack that I know is going to deliver on that comfort experience. 
This is a dichotomy I'm very interested to see play out. And we're, we're watching this closely at Morning Consult to understand the balance between the share of consumers, which is a very fair share, who say they've tried new brands or experimented or tried new stores. At the same time, our data shows the same thing, that you lean into those brands that you know and trust. This is something that we reported on in the summer with our most loved brands report, something we're seeing here with this ranking. Um, but at the same time, the dynamics of where the needs will net out uh, there, there's the big brands that will win and will have that enjoyable reinforcing flywheel. And then there's everyone else. And that's where the real opportunity is, as you think about potentially being one of those new brands that consumers turn to for whatever reason. There's a lot of work to be done to protect that new relationship and reinforce it as consumers potentially, you know, for whatever reason, circle back to the brands that they always bought from or become even more exploratory. And you totally fall off their radar again in short order. Now, I know trust in institutions of all kinds have been going down. It's been a, a long-term trend. Uh, and I, I know you may not have you know, specific tracking data around these exact trust measures, but you know, what's, your, what's your take on how trust has been trending over time? This is actually something we have been um, on a weekly basis, actually, tracking since the breakout of the pandemic, um, as well as before. But what has become abundantly clear is this trust gap when you think about the private and the public entities. So um, whereas the government continues to uh, be a source of strain for consumers, there was not necessarily a clear message and a, a reliable, helpful response coming, especially in the early days of the pandemic, economic strains continued. We saw that businesses actually started to emerge as um, the reliable source for help. And that came through not only through how businesses pivoted their actual business model and their, their even their supply chains to meet real needs. Um, but that's also where we see small businesses, you know, really filling the gaps where we, we tend to watch this dichotomy between um, the trust level that certain institutions have versus how responsible certain um, cohorts of consumers hold them for doing the right thing or for taking the, the stage when it comes to helping out on social or political issues or, or otherwise. Um, and we're starting to see that more and more the government gap there of high responsibility, low trust continues to widen, whereas businesses are in this murky middle at this point where the gap has closed over the year. But um, we're at a point where if, if things return to normal, potentially consumers will continue to hold them responsible, but their trust, if they're not delivering and executing on those expectations, um, could lead to the gap widening again. Yeah, certainly trust in the government has been declining since the Vietnam Watergate era and hit new lows with all of the, the drama of the past few years. Trust in the media has been declining, uh, you know, over the decades as well. And so I, I agree. I think there's a huge opportunity for brands to come in and fill that trust void that consumers have. Um, well, you know, one of the questions that I always ask guests is, uh, as you look ahead, you know, obviously, you know, the vaccine is on the horizon, things are starting to open up. Uh, what are your thoughts on what kind of consumer trends are going to are going to bounce back to their pre pandemic ways versus what kind of changes in consumer behavior and attitudes might be more lasting? 
it's an entertaining question as someone who lives in data to have to have thoughts versus um, being inclined to open up all my data files here. But a couple of um, I'll speak to a couple of the areas that we're watching closely, and then a couple of my hunches uh, based on what we've been continuously tracking. So a couple of different components we're watching is as people feel more and more comfortable doing certain things, where are they going to be shifting or, or further reinforcing their spend? Um, so we, we do see you know the, the trend, including on the consumer confidence side, which Morning Console also tracks on a daily basis, do show that people have an appetite where they have the means um, to get out again, to be spending, whether that's on vacation or, or some sort of travel um, or just spend in general. So that, you know, I, I can't even necessarily call that really groundbreaking because a lot of research has shown that, but ours certainly reinforces it. Um, the couple of different angles, I mentioned one of them before, thinking about this idea of experimentation versus um, comfort, if you will, in the portfolio of brands that you're pursuing is another area we're watching along with channels. Um, so we've, we've seen people have very different experiences embracing online mentioned, you know, my purchasing of insurance at the start of the call. But at the same time, I would 100% choose shopping for my groceries in person over online anytime because of the experiences I've had. Um, and, and that's something that, you know, all the players in these spaces who they embraced online versions of their checkout process or their shopping process have learned very quickly what how to do it, first of all, in many cases, but second of all, what's tending to resonate and work well versus where there's still gaps to close. So um, how that nets out will be an interesting space as well. Um, we're also thinking about entertainment and hobbies. So people, this of course has implications for TV and streamer streaming companies, um, but when you think about where people are going to be getting back to, going to the movie theater, going to ball parks, uh, another whole area there to understand in addition to hobbies, people spent and leaned into gardening or home care a lot more. Um, certain people may have purchased a home during the pandemic that they now need to, you know, lean into spending and, and investing in that time and, and continuing that hobby, if you will. Um, but many others will be thrilled to get back to their to their daily lives. So this um, reality of a very new normal is, is something we're continuing to explore um, of course, backed by data, looking across demographics, psychographics, geographies, and the like, because it may look different um, from county to county, let alone market to market. Wasn't it quaint a year ago when everybody was baking bread and watching Tiger King on Netflix? I, I miss those days. Uh, and of course, uh, Morning, Consult, Morning Consult has a uh, return to normal tracker that really dimensionalizes all of this and has really very specific, precise tracking data. And so I'll link to that in the show notes as well. Uh, well, my last question for you, Victoria, which I ask of all of my guests, what one piece of advice would you have to help people thrive and survive at this time? It really does go back to understanding your consumers. And, you know, we think here of some of the conversation points that we, we've just gone through where different categories and different brands will have a different um, experience for their consumers coming out of this. And they'll have different expectations. That could mean how they're supposed to show up on social issues, how they should be engaging with the government. But even things like trust, it's going to vary specifically based on who you're trying to win with and who you're trying to 
build and establish a new relationship with. So I go back to thinking more and more about the nuance of, around our, our world today, that globally, but certainly in the U.S., there's still polarization, certainly among genders and um, generations and geographies. So um, it goes back to thinking kind of small and, and with relevance. And then from there, how do you create a scalable strategy to maintain that relationship over time? Victoria Sekel, Managing Director at Morning Council. Thanks so much for joining me today. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. That's it for this week. Please like, subscribe, and share. The best place to find me is on LinkedIn. You can also find me on MySpace. Only fans. Send me a fax, or better yet, page me. When I get your page, I'll go out. I'll find a payphone. I'll call you back. To take us out, it's the full version of our theme song, Tourist, by Tess Stevens, the world's most rocking contest record. Until next time, my friends, stay safe and stay safe. Not perfect, but is it worth?